0: We continue worshiping God this morning with our next reading. This is our preaching text this morning from Second Kings chapter 5. I'll begin reading in the first verse. Nahum, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant that you may cure him of leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he was seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry when he went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, is it a great word that the prophet has spoken to you? Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The word of the Lord. As we continue in this Lenten series on remembering that we are not alone in the desert. Today, uh, we remember that we do indeed face hardship. And as we face hardship, it's no surprise that uh, there are days, maybe more than one, right, that there are no good, very bad days. I want to, uh, as I like to say, go back to the Wayback Machine for a moment and tell a story. This morning that I've told for many years. It's one that's been used by many groups, whether it's uh, as case studies uh, for psychology classes. And the version I'm going to share with you, I read uh, a new again this week from the SMU Physics Department. Uh, maybe you've heard this story as well. It's the bricklayer's no good, very bad day. And as he reported on his day at work, trying to uh, excuse his absence because of injury, he tells this story. He decided on a a multiple floor building that he, after completing his uh, brickwork that he did not want to haul down the sum 250, depending on... Uh, which story you read, to 500-pound load of bricks, a few at a time. And so he loaded them up in a barrel, fixed a pulley, and then went down to the ground and began to lower those bricks, saving quite a bit of time, one would think. However, this is when he had his first physics lesson. For he was much lighter than that load of bricks. And so as he began uh, to lower that uh, load down, and as the bricks came down in the barrel, uh, he states in his report, and I hope this report is fictional, but uh, as he states, uh, he lost his presence of mind and didn't think to let go of the rope. And so as the bricks came down, he went up. And this, as he reports, was the cause of the injuries to his skull and and collarbone. Now, as he got to the top of the pulley and his hands got jammed in it because of the speed in which he traveled, uh, this is when he had his next physics lesson because as the barrel hit the ground, the bricks now left the barrel, leaving him now heavier than the barrel at which time he made his way at rapid succession down towards the ground again. This is where uh, some of the broken bones that he was reporting occurred. Now, sadly, he reports at this point, I lost my presence of mind again because at that moment he let go of the rope, which if you've been tracking it in your mind, now the barrel's back at the top, And so now the empty barrel comes crashing down. He indeed had a no good, very bad day. And uh, as it's been reported through the years, uh, you know, this day, which as we can tell, uh, had very much to do with decisions on his part. Sometimes uh, we are reminded this morning that hardships that we face, hopefully not as bad as his today, are of our own doing. But very often there are also hardships that we face that are not of our own making. Sometimes those hardships we face are clearly someone else's fault. And there's no justice, no resolution, no fix. No restoration that seems satisfactory sometimes. In my life, my biological dad, who I never got to meet, had uh, nothing to do with me, partly because he spent his whole adult life as an addict. He died like that as well at a young age. There's no fixing that. There's no getting that time back. Sometimes the hardships we face are caused by other people. And sometimes the hardships we face... Like illness or disease come at us without warning. And those are particularly hard because we can't blame ourselves, we can't blame others, and they are overwhelming on times, sometimes just absolutely overwhelming. Sometimes we're quick to try and want to blame those though, and even Jesus is quick to tell us in the New Testament that our sin doesn't cause those illnesses when those who would want to blame someone's circumstance on their sin or their parents' sin, Jesus wants us to remember uh, that indeed we need to know it's not our fault. So it's interesting though, however on those occasions, he oftentimes did use those physical occasions to deal with deeper, more troubling issues, having healed a leper or healed lame, he would then also forgive their sin. In today's reading from Second Kings, we hear a, a such occasion, one of those hardships where there's no one to blame. And we hear a prestigious man. A prestigious man, a a general for his king, winning battles, even defeating Israel itself for Syria. And he is facing the hardship of a skin disease, leprosy. And what we discover as we come to this text, and we'll explore it together in three different ways this morning, is that he encounters and deals with this hardship in a way that he didn't expect either. God comes to him with grace. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and just be careful because Naaman's story, like we warned about last week, Naaman's story is not a three-step plan about how to get God to heal you of your infirmity. But it does take us and help us understand how to face the hardships that we face. Be they hardships of our own making, hardships caused by others, or illness or disease, or some other circumstance. And so, and what does Naaman teach us? What does God teach us here? He teaches us about. His grace. Yes, grace is even found. Indeed, even the gospel is being reflected for us in this Old Testament story. As I recount his story, I pray that your story this morning would once again encounter God's grace. For this message given to Naaman came to him first by grace. Then, This message was given to him despite his hard heart. And finally, this message of grace, he would soon discover could not be purchased, at least not by him. Let's talk about how this message came to him by grace. Naaman's wife had an Israeli servant girl who was stolen from her people after this general Naaman had won a raid against Israel. It's almost for certain that her parents were most likely killed by Naaman's troops. It was not uncommon then as part of the uh, plunder to take people as slaves, and they did so with this little girl. You would expect a girl like this to savor any suffering that her master Naaman's family would have to endure. After all, he was the cause of her circumstance. In fact, you would suggest that she had every right to keep her knowledge of God's word proclaimed through the prophet Elisha to herself. And yet... Can you imagine the kind of grace and love and kindness she extended to tell that truth to her, her mistress Naaman's wife? What an incredible act of love. Even in the face of the hardship that she'd endured. Right? To her very captors. This is the person God uses to communicate his word, first to Naaman, his grace. I can't help in this moment to think of the story of Corrie Ten Boom, who after speaking about God's grace and forgiveness in Munich, Germany in 1947 after the war. This Corrie Ten Boom, you know her story, I bet, whose family suffered so much They themselves were captors and ravaged by the Holocaust. She saw her sister die in front of her. Her whole family killed because of the evil done to her and to so many. But she was professing her Christian faith in 1947, bringing the gospel to Germany that needed it so desperately. And coming up from the back row after her presentation was a gentleman wearing a trench coat, but she didn't see a trench coat. All she could see was a uniform in her mind's eye, for she knew immediately who this man was. He'd been one of her jailers, one of her jailers. And as this man approached, he said, I don't know if you remember me, but you mentioned uh, the... Same jail that I oversaw. I was a jailer there and I've now since become a Christian. I did many awful things then and she, believe me, remembered each of them. And he asked her for forgiveness, the same forgiveness that she had just preached. And she said it felt like hours, but it was probably only seconds when she considered whether or not to extend her hand of friendship as he had extended his, asking for forgiveness and whether she would actually offer him grace. She did not want to do it, she writes. She did not want to give and extend that grace. But she said and asked God to do what she could not and she extended her hand and said, I forgive you. She knew it was God's work because she did not have the ability to extend that kind of grace, and she felt the warmth of His love flow through her in that moment. So maybe that little servant girl was like Corey Ten Boom. Maybe she was striving, as Corey was, to be faithful to God's call to proclaim His word of grace and forgiveness. Maybe. This little girl was trying to be faithful to God's word. Maybe she didn't want to, but even still, she was faithful. And this word of grace was brought to Naaman through the meek and mild. And amazingly, he heard it. He heard it. Despite later, as this message was relayed to him directly now through uh, Elisha and his servants, when he would turn now to a hard heart. Now remember, Naaman was a prestigious man. So prestigious, so important that his king, his king would want to send him with a letter to the king of Israel. And he sent him with this letter of introduction. And not only that, but his king added to the kitty, he added... 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. He wanted his best general to be healed. And Naaman, being prestigious as he was, and understanding the world that he lived in, came with certain expectations. He expected that this letter from the king and the gifts that he brought would direct the king of Israel to direct his prophet to bring him the healing that he so deserves. The king, of course, in Israel, knew that that's not how the God of the universe worked. For this pagan, Naaman, had come to the one monotheistic country where it was the word of God that directed the king and not the other way around. This was... Foreign to Naaman and shocking. He expected his healing would be public and dramatic, and Elisha didn't even come out of the house to honor great Naaman and said, Just go dip in the Jordan. Well, Naaman was offended. I could have stayed at home for this. His dignity was offended. It's how the pagan world worked. After all, these gifts, my status, your king should have all directed this. I I deserve this. And you know, sometimes how the pagan world worked then is not too far off how the modern world works now. We somehow think before God that we deserve it. That we should get it in the way that we want it. Larry Hurtado writes about how offensive Christians were to Romans a couple centuries later in the first century Roman. They had gods for everything to meet their needs. And those gods then satisfied all that they wanted. And the Christians who said that, no, there's not many gods, there's one gods, were considered offensive because they were too exclusive. Putting themselves under this one god as opposed to being in control of their gods. This is the type of world that Naaman lived in, and this is the type of false expectation he came when he came to Elisha. I like how one preacher put it when he was preaching this text. He likened it to how cats and dogs view their masters. You know, the dog understands that they Uh, need everything from their master, from food to water to play to walking to petting. They just come uh, and then obediently sit and follow, right? Now, cats, on the other hand, they also are completely dependent on their master, except they just come with a slightly different attitude, right? Uh, The master is there to serve them. Now, cat lovers among us, uh, no offense intended, But the question for us when it comes to our relationship with God, are we cats or are we dogs? Do we come humbly before God knowing we're dependent on Him or do we come to God thinking that He is there to serve us? Well, That's certainly how Naaman felt. And he was about to march off in rage and then wait for it. Who got his attention again? The meek and mild servant. finally, he would be washed. But even when Jesus reminded the Jews of Naaman's healing in Luke chapter 4, uh, and which was in many ways a reminder how they weren't listening to God's word as Naaman at first was not, they wanted to kill him. There was a lot of offense here. And yet, God would bring grace through these, these humble paths to Naaman. He would transform his heart in ways that he didn't expect. In the text that we read last week and we continue through this series in Romans chapter 8, we're reminded that God works for the good for those who love him. It says that in all things God works for the good. It doesn't say, and we have to be clear here each week, that it doesn't say that God loves, that all things are good, that all hardships are good. God hates our hardships. I like how Johnny Tata Erickson, the leader of Johnny uh, and Friends Ministries and paraplegic who understands hardship and understands suffering, she interprets this text like this. She said, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It's not that those hardships of ours are good or that God wills for them or wants for them, but he will still, even sometimes through them, accomplish love, and he did that for Naaman. All right, back to Naaman. His hard heart didn't want to follow those instructions, but when he finally did, he discovered extraordinary grace through that ordinary washing. You know, hardships can lead us to hard hearts and then hard hearts to hard lives. But God invites us to live more like that servant girl who is sharing grace in her captivity. Like Johnny Tata Erickson, in her brokenness, she now sees an opportunity to love. God accomplished in Naaman what no one else could and Naaman's heart was changed and he soon discovered that those riches he bought now as he understood could not buy could not buy that healing could not buy God's grace the message of grace is that it cannot be purchased not by us only by what Christ did on the cross Remember those 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold? I mean, this is a huge gift. He, to make the point, Elisha said, you know, there'll be plenty of opportunities you know, in the future for your time and your treasure and your talents to be given to the glory of God, but not now, the scripture says, not now, so that no one can assume that this gift was purchased. I mean, it was a sizable gift, by the way, that he brought. I had to do the math. And gold at 150 pounds at today's rate is over $4 million. It's over $200,000 at today's rate of silver. These were huge gifts that Elisha was saying no to. He's saying not now. He wanted there to be no question that grace was only purchased from God by God, not by any human hand. Sometimes we're offended by that. We want to earn our way. We want to we say, well, look, I, I don't deserve this hardship. I've, I, I've done the right things. Or I've worked to get there. Even Elisha's servant thought that Elisha was letting him off easy. And if you keep reading the text, you'll discover he secretly goes back To Naaman, it says, oh, he he meant to tell you that he could really use this for some uh, some students. It could make a real, you know. uh." But no, this is not God's plan. God would be glorified by Naaman, who is in a foreign land, and he would proclaim God's name, his grace to a world he promised then. Moving forward, he would only worship the one true God who would heal them. Naaman's testimony reminds us that God doesn't come to us sometimes like we want, but he comes to us in ordinary ways through people like that little girl with grace. And when he does, what if, what if we approached our hardships like that little servant girl and trusted the circumstance to God and his word? How would that change our mindset and our attitude and how would God work all things together for good even in our hardships? That same minister who told the story of dogs and cats also relayed the story of another minister who went to two boarding schools to share the gospel, both equally prestigious, both uh, boarding schools were, uh, happened to be with boys, both all highly intellectual, both schools uh, very well thought of. The first school that he spoke at, uh, they were so well thought of that they thought that they knew more than the preacher. And so they tried to show that with questions of indifference and asking questions that, uh, of little significance, but try to get you maybe to uh, trap the preacher in some intellectual fallacy. He did his best to answer and honored their questions though. But the next school unlike the first, although so similar in so many ways their questions were still just as hard, just as challenging, but rich with meaning and deep and asking with discovery and hope and wondering how God and what God was doing what's the difference between these two prestigious, intellectually high, well schooled student bodies Well, that second student body all of those boys had cerebral palsy they understood that uh, life included hardship and it brought them to a deeper level of meaning and like that little girl we can Trust that God's grace is sufficient, even in our hardship. Trust that even in hardship, God's grace can work for our good. That great man, he had a problem to which a little girl had a solution. the solution involved name and becoming like her, a little child. Will you have faith like a child? Even in the midst of your hardship? God hasn't fixed all of my hardships and hurts, but he has poured out his grace upon me and I know he desires to do the same for you. And just like my sin and yours, we need to come humbly before God and let his grace redeem us of those deeper problems of our sin and drive the course of our lives to him. The hardship can drive the course of our lives, or God's grace can? Will you humble yourself like Naaman, like the servant girl did, and receive what only Jesus can and do and pay for on the cross? Naaman wasn't alone in the desert, and neither are you. Soften your heart in the midst of the hardships that you face and we all face. Not to shortchange them a bit, they are hard. But right now, we can remember that God's grace is sufficient. Amen.